Big Fluffy. Can I get you guys some chairs? No, or... no, no. We're good. We're good. Hey, I just want to tell you that I dig what you're doing. Really, I just think like words are overrated. You know, there's such crutches for us as actors. Can I get you guys some chairs? No, we're standing. You know, Spielberg said that you should be able to watch a movie with the sound off if it's Hey good. guys, got those chairs for you. Get them out of here. You know, sometimes I'll go to the movies and I'll plug my ears. Yeah, I'll even go the extra mile and close my eyes too. Yeah. You know, to really experience something, you have to completely shut it out. I did that with my ex-wife, too. Yeah, didn't talk to her or look at her for a month once. She didn't get it at all. Hey, everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. This is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are looking at some of the maligned films of 2023, as is tradition, because we've established on this podcast, if you do something three times, it's tradition. Yep. Uh, of the movies of the previous year, uh, and this time we watched Fool's Paradise, the Charlie Day opus. Yes, which... I think real quick to start, because on last week's episode, uh, we talked about strays and you had some box office information. And I think over the, the course of this month, we have some maybe things that in people's minds are more infamous flops or like more high profile flops. But this is important with this movie and, and as to why we chose this movie, uh, it reportedly had a budget of between 28 and $30 million and made $855,173 on its opening. Oof. Yeah. And a thousand. More than half of that was its first weekend. Yeah. So it, another way to say that is it lost between 28 and $30 million. That has to be one of the most ineffective, like the most money lost of a movie ever relative to budget. Yeah. And what's fascinating about this is last week we all uh, we cut. If you listen to it, we cut checks to Zaslav's boat and we uh, apologize to the executives. This time my hands are clean because I watched this in the theater. <laughs> I was some of that 855,000. You were 3150 <laughs> of that 81,810,000. Uh, so I I supported you, Charlie, and executives. <sighs> yeah. Um So before we get into this movie, and I think this is a good segue to talk about what the movie was about, uh for a split second after you said uh you know, I'm Joel Murphy. Uh, I was just going to pantomime a la Charlie Day's character in the movie. But then I was like, this is a purely audio medium. And that's going to be a chuckle for me, maybe a chuckle for you. And that's it. So I, but I yeah. had the idea and it made me laugh in my heart. I so do. But I, I know about it. I do Adrian Brody style recommend closing your eyes and covering your ears. 
while listening while to this movie. While listening to this podcast and watching this movie. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, this movie is bad. It's not good. And I think because we were saying this before we started, and I, I think it's we, let's just put it on the record now because we try to be objective here. We try to be honest. And we also come from a place of wanting to like these movies and, and wanting to find things that we did like about them, which we will do this week as we do every week. But I think before we get into the problems with this movie, and there are quite a few we myriad problems, we both love charlie day and big fan just want to state that unequivocally that's why i saw this movie in the theater i was excited for it i was rooting for him i wanted it to be good yeah uh i also am a fan of charlie day uh obviously he got his rise to fame from it's always sunny but he was enjoyable in the pacific rim movies uh horrible bosses you know he's done a lot of stuff and he he's talented and I would say working right now, there aren't too many people that play stupid smarter than he does. Yeah, I mean, Charlie Kelly and his portrayal of that character is one of my favorite television characters, period. Just what he's done with it. I love that character. He's great. And it is really fascinating that that show has been on the air for so long that you can see all of the characters have had their moments and have had their prominence, but of the cast that wasn't Danny DeVito, who was already a big star before that show, he was the first breakout star of It's yeah. Always Sunny. And that's not surprising. And he did do Pacific Rim. Like he he was the one that immediately broke out and it took, you know, I would say it took Hollywood longer to figure out what to do with the others. But you can see Glenn Howerton uh, got the incredibly underrated show ap bio which i recommend watching if people haven't he was in a season of fargo which he was phenomenal and he's yeah. um was nominated for an oscar for blackberry yeah i mean his career is great caitlin olsen has done some really fantastic stuff including playing uh cheryl's sister on curb which i really love and then uh you know it's interesting yeah that he's been more recent where between mythic quest and then now this uh what is welcome it? Welcome to Wrexham. to Wrexham. That it's like his moment is actually now, which is almost right. two decades into It's Always Sunny. Um, but all that to say, we love Charlie Day. Uh, but man, we didn't love this movie. Yeah. Wrote and directed it, Charlie Day. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of that, um, one, one critic, uh, one of the quotes about this movie, which I just think is baffling and just, I, I don't know. it. One of the reviews said, Fool's Paradise suggests Charlie Day may have a bright future as a director, but he'll need to find smarter and more consistently funny scripts. <laughs> well, he, he wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> you dumbass. Well, you know what's interesting? I guess I'll put this here, too, because this is something else I wanted to mention that you mentioned Pacific Rim. One of the things I was reading about this and I. I found out that he actually filmed this movie in 2018 and then he held yeah. on to it. And what ended up happening is uh, either in 2022 or 2023, he ended up doing extensive reshoots where he rewrote 27 pages of the script and he brought back Ken Jeong and uh, uh, some of the other cast members to re like to film new scenes. And apparently 
a lot of that he was actually inspired to do it and was running those pages by Guillermo del Toro, uh, who he's become friends with because he did Pacific Rim. And then Guillermo del Toro had like he acted in It's Always Sunny where yeah. he played the the father of the McPoyles, which is also hilarious. Just brilliant. But uh, but yeah, apparently Guillermo del Toro was really trying to help him with it. Also convinced him. And I think this is a good change that apparently the original title of this was going to be El Tonto and Guillermo del Toro talked him out of that, which I think we can all agree was a good move. Yeah. Why El Tonto? I guess because he's dumb. I mean, it means stupid in Spanish. So I guess they're like, okay. like it's like calling him the idiot or something, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That almost segues to one thing like right out of the gate, something that this movie lost me with. And I think that the movie would have been better if this scene wasn't included. But we're introduced to Charlie Day's John Doe character, uh, who later gets known as Latte Pronto uh, in a mental institution. Yes. And uh, it's clear that he is diagnosed with some severe mental disorder and then is just released because they can't afford it. Yeah, which is played for laughs. Right. And it like knowing all that, it just. It, I hated it. Yeah, well, I think he should have shown up for the first time selling oranges. Well, I, I think. As we're going to, you know, we probably need to set up the, the plot a little bit better. And as we talk about this movie, I think an important thing to do real quick before we get into it, because I think you can't really discuss this movie without talking about the movie being there. And that yeah. is because part of the reason I was excited to see this, I was watching a lot of the press stuff for it when uh, Charlie Day was, you know, when it was coming out and he kept talking about being there and he kept talking about how much he loved that movie and how much it was an influence on this and how this was sort of his take on that. And I think that's if you've seen both movies, it's super obvious. But if you haven't, just to set it up. So being there, it's a Hal Ashby movie starring Peter Sellers. And the plot of that movie is there that Peter Sellers plays. a He's a gardener and he, he goes by the name Chance the Gardener. And he works for this old man who dies and it's sort of like at that point, he had just lived his whole life as this, you know, the guy raised him and then he became the gardener and this guy's been taking care of him and he died, but he didn't leave anything for him in his will. So then chance is cut loose. He wanders around the city. He yeah, pretty quickly utterly maladjusted to the modern world. Yeah. The only thing he just watches a lot of television and he the only things he really knows about are TV and gardening. And he is. Again, they never diagnose him or try to explain exactly where he's at, but he seems to be a very, um, you know, he's he's like a simple guy, I think is the maybe the most fair way to put it. But yeah, low intellect. But yeah. Um, and, and certainly there are characters who also uh, were there with him the whole time who are reacting to him, talking about how they think he's very dumb. But he gets in with this Washington political crowd and they quickly believe that he's brilliant because when he talks about gardening and he says, like, you know, with gardening, as long as the roots are strong and he says things like that. And they think that they're these brilliant metaphors and that he must be incredibly deep. And it becomes a satire of Washington and politics and the fact that 
politicians never say anything meaningful, but try to sound smart and that an actual person who's not saying anything can succeed in that world because that's all that world is. And it's hilarious platitudes. And it's funny. It's no, it's very smart and it's very funny and it's a great movie that you should watch. Yes. And so we have to cover all of that because it is very obvious that that is the template for this movie. That's what Charlie Day wanted to do. He's been open about that. And you can see that this mirrors that, but also critically, I think doesn't understand why that movie worked. And so this is a film again about a character who is unnamed and who doesn't talk in this movie. And he gets named, uh, uh, what is it? Latte Pronto. Latte Pronto, which is, uh, something that, uh, Ray Liotta's character, this producer, says many times because he wants his latte very quickly. Right, which is also even a flimsier thing because, again, Chance the Gardener, and he gets dubbed Chauncey Gardener. They mishear him saying his name and they assume his name is Chauncey and that he comes from money. So that that tracks. Yeah. Latte Pronto is not a name and doesn't sound believable. So already we're not... <laughs> it's doing that, but not as well. But... Anyway, it, instead of politics, it's film, and he he fills in for this actor that's also played by Charlie Day, who's some kind of dickhead method actor who's both supposed to be British, but also immersed in being Billy the Kid, and who refuses to come to set, and then he comes to set, and I actually think, so the two things, now we're caught up to, like, one, the thing that you said of, like, I think they made a big mistake by telling us that this is a character that is... Uh, you know, suffering some kind of mental crisis that is possibly, you know, someone with disabilities that that is a character, you know, that needs help and resources, which is already a very different thing. And then on top of that, instead of the he speaks about gardening and everyone assumes he's great, they have him be an actor, but he doesn't talk and he's bad at it. Yeah, um, and it's. This movie covers way too long of a time frame for someone who says no words to get that far. Right. And I think that but it's such a central thing that, again, so you understand the what they're doing in being there of this. It's a commentary on, again, you can say nothing in Washington and make it really far. But I guess this movie, like, I don't really know what it's trying to say as a parallel to acting, but it's also just. He doesn't take direction. He's constantly squirming. He looks into the camera, which they try to explain makes him liked by people. But none of it is credible in terms of the only thing that this guy would have over the the Charlie Day that he's replacing is that he's malleable and does whatever they say. But he doesn't. He's constantly trying to escape in every right. scene. And- and even more bizarre, it's one of the first things they establish about Charlie Day's character is that he follows directions implicitly and mimics people implicitly. That's in the opening scene with the in the opening scene. Yeah. And and then he never does it again, except and it would be incredibly to his advantage to really take direction. Well, right, because I think there is a version of this that would have worked better where, again, if you wanted to make a commentary about acting and the fact that. 
he doesn't really do anything but just filming his face and the way it's edited that we believe that he's some great actor because they'll show a completely blank face and then they'll cut to a baby and they, they assume that, oh, my God, he he's looking at that kid with love. And then they show the exact the music same cues and the, yeah, but yeah, show the exact same face and they cut to a woman like you could literally get a lot of mileage out of doing the same shot of Charlie Day over and over again well, and editing it with other things and people assuming that he's emoting different things when he's literally not doing anything different. Right. And they even make the joke that uh, most actors just don't do anything anyway. Right. So but I, all he's doing is things. Right. The wrong things. Yeah. So but in, yeah, instead, he's just squirming and constantly uncomfortable. And then so there's that combined with your point, which I think is because of the way they set him up and they explain the character again in being there. Chance the Gardener is just he's fine. He's just sort of almost like just wandering from place to place, but he's never in danger. He He's OK. We we know as the audience that he's going to be OK. This movie is just constantly. It's just pouring worse and worse things on to to Latte Pronto that he's just suffering at all times. It's just torturing this guy. For an hour and 40 minutes. Yeah. And man, did this movie feel every second of that and an hour? It did. It feels very long. Yeah. It's not paced well. Uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm, I do wonder when, yeah, if Charlie Day says that he wrote 27 new pages and did extensive reshoots, I, I don't know what it was, like what he reshot and what was there before. Yeah, I, it it's it doesn't make sense. Um, if there's an additional protagonist to this movie, it's Ken Jeong, the agent. Yes. Or the publicist. He's a publicist and he's he's very much like, a, you know, he's not a good publicist. He doesn't have clients. He's trying to fake it till he makes it. Yeah, I have a picture Gil from The Simpsons. Yes. I have a feeling. I don't know this. This is just my assumption that maybe. A lot of the rewrites were because I know they were towards the end. So I have a feeling they might have been with Ken Jeong's character because I know he specifically said he came back for the reshoots that maybe a lot of the emotional stuff it tries to add with him at the end might not have been there in the original past. And maybe they tried to make it more of a emotional connecting connection between the two and sweeter. But I I don't know. And maybe. like I did like a lot of that stuff, but it felt like it came too late. And that's also why I think it might have been the rewrites. Yeah, this movie, it, I don't know. I, I guess to start here, I don't think anyone sets out to make a bad movie. No, I think everybody, when they, when they, you know, and we've watched some movies that aren't good, but I think that some of those movies that we've watched that are bad, the director sort of knew where the movie stood in the pantheon of movies. I, I would think that you would probably have some kind of sense of if things were going well or not, or you at least know the vibe on set. You know, one thing that I've been really enjoying watching lately and that delights me to no end is if you ever see any footage, like behind the scenes footage of Barbie and you see Greta Gerwig, she's having the time of her life. She's yeah. always laughing. She's always smiling. And I'm like, that seems like a good set. And everybody had a good time and they made a good movie. So I'm like, I think maybe you kind of know, like we've definitely pull back the curtain on things. And we've had very like juicy, like league of extraordinary gentlemen where 
you know, there's there's times where like people quit acting after a movie or like right. the writer or the, you know, the director and the star aren't talking to each other or something like that. So like certainly in those situations, you know, you're in trouble. Right. And even to a lesser extent, like just use strays that we uh, watched a couple of weeks or, you know, aired a couple of weeks ago. I don't think the makers of strays thought that they were ever going to be contending for Oscars or, you know, independent spirit awards or anything like that. They're making a fun, dumb comedy about talking animals that was really vulgar and they knew their lane. And I think they probably I hope they do. And I hope if they listen to our episode, they feel good about the end product because I think they delivered on what they were trying to deliver on. Yeah, 100 percent. Yeah. You just get the sense watching this movie. And again, I love Charlie Day. But you get the sense watching this movie that he thinks he is making a masterpiece. Yeah. Yeah. And brother, he ain't. Well, again, I think he thinks he's making being there. Like, I, yeah. I think that and I think there's something to that in and of itself as well that, you know, I mean, you and I were constantly pitching movies all the time. And, and we definitely have, I'd say, healthy egos that we believe that we could write something good or make something good. But I have seen the movie being there and I love it and I would never try to make that movie because I think they nailed it like I don't think there's anything for me to do what am I gonna you because you're either gonna at best you're gonna make a movie as good as that and that's that's the best possible scenario you're not gonna make a better version of being there no it's it's in the national film registry it's an absolute objective classic um and, and they did it and they did it right. And it's not like that's a movie ripe for sequel or like revisiting. No, no, it it did it. It still works. All the political stuff still plays. Yeah, like you could totally make Alien again, and I think people would be fine with it. Yeah. You know, like they've made countless diehards and it's fine. I mean, none of them have been as good as Die Hard. None but... of them has been as good as Die Hard, but like they've there've been a lot of good diehards. Yeah, Speed was a good diehard. Under Under Siege was a diehard. Executive Decision was a die. Like there's a lot of diehards out there, and varying degrees of success. Uh this being there is such a unique take on everything that like, yeah, it's to just leave it, leave it be. Yeah. But the other thing I want to throw this out there because I see a lot of times when people react to this movie too that they bring up Charlie Chaplin and I didn't get that at all. So I I I think that people think that for two reasons because one he doesn't talk and two I think they mistake his hat which actually is very similar to the hat that Peter Sellers wears and being there but I think they read that as a Charlie Chaplin type of hat. Yeah. I mean I think there's Definitely with the score and uh, Charlie Day's general mannerisms, there is definite and definite evocation of silent film. But I don't get Charlie. But it's not Charlie. It's might. It's without the like big pratfalls. It's closer to probably Buster Keaton. Yes. Yeah. 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 I would agree with that, too. But I I think that's it, too, is people know Charlie Chaplin. That's the one. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That he is the icon of that of that era. Um, And I think genuinely there was an effort to like have that silent film vibe yes no i think it's evoking silent films but i just always found it interesting that people always seem to reference charlie chaplin but there there's not really 
I mean, there's the one scene where he's doing the superhero movie and he's being shot with tennis balls, but there's Charlie Chaplin films are pretty slapstick comedy, and this is not a slapstick comedy. No, and like, if anything, like if there was a sweeter romance, maybe you could get some City Lights vibes out of this movie, but there isn't. If it ended with a shot of him and Ken Jeong's backs as they walked <laughs> into the horizon. <laughs> And together. it was a mistake that it didn't. I I mean, yeah, like, look, if you just, just going to say it, if you stole that one shot, the final shot of City Lights, I think it would have added a lot to the end of this movie. Honestly, and you iris in to close the movie. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been good. They should have done that. Been great. Yeah. They should have done that. Yeah. <laughs> um. No, but I think that like his name's Charlie. He has sort of that wide eyed. um, The kid look about himself sometimes. And he's a little tramp. And he's a little bit of a tramp. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, that's why the lady is a tramp. Yeah. Um, but no, like it. It's not, though. No, like it's not. Although you might be able to argue that it's as much not Charlie Chaplin as the rest of the movie is not being there. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't hear. I don't remember him evoking Charlie Chaplin, but maybe he does also think that he's being Charlie Chaplin. Um, but yeah, like, and then it's the movie is just a bunch of situations where with the exception of the Hollywood party, it's weird that he doesn't like these are situations that not talking wouldn't work. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's a number of things that happen that it edits its way out of explaining how they happen of like one, he gets married. So no clue right. how he was able to get married without talking without uh, saying I do, but he, they hand wave past that, uh, the, when he thinks Ken Jeong is dead, we cut to he's in the process of buying an urn. But I had that with that, too, of like, how did we get this far in this transaction? Right. He has shown no ability to engage in society, even silently, because, I mean, there are plenty of people uh, who are incapable of speech that can function very well in society. Silent Bob. Sign language works. Silent Bob, you yeah. know. Silent Bob. Echo. Echo. Yeah. yeah. You know, plenty. Yeah. Um, But he, like, doesn't understand the world. No. Well, in in the beginning of the movie, he he's literally just moved, you know, like people move him. He doesn't go. He's just walking. And then he gets swept up with some guys that are selling fruit on the side of the road and just starts walking with them. And then Ray Liotta finds him and puts him in his car. But it's because it, he looks like uh, the actor. But it's yeah. In the beginning, it's that people have to escort him when he goes to the you know the director's house which is played by Jason Sudeikis to do the superhero movie he's driven there like in the beginning it's very clear he only ends up in a place because someone takes him there but by the right. end he's doing a lot more autonomous things like getting married and buying urns and finding fool's gold yeah um all of it is it's just it doesn't make a lot of sense. And like there's something they could say about, you know, like just how like vapid and hollow many stere actors are stereotypically that like they don't notice that he doesn't talk because they don't shut up. Right. Like they didn't like they could yeah. have driven that point home a little harder and it would have made a lot of sense. No, I think there is a version of this that could have worked if he was really stoic and followed directions really well and everyone around him was so shallow and vapid that they didn't notice that you know like yeah, if you if you had Adrian Brody 
someone being like, the guy never talks. And he's like, really? I don't know. We have great yeah. conversations. And so we talk all the time. Yeah. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Like that right. would have been a good bit. Yeah. Yeah. Like he had to be just a little bit more functional in society. Yes. Without I, talking. And I agree with you. I think you should have not done the opening scene because I think that that really changes the stakes and changes how we feel about the character. And I, it makes it like really way more upsetting the situations that he's being put in than it would have been if he was a true blank slate that just came out of nowhere. Even if it was just that he was suffering from selective mutism and that was the issue and he was just like sort of in a, in a shell, not talking and maybe there's a meditation to be done on that uh, or something, but like the movie doesn't like thinks it's explaining him, but doesn't explain him at all. Yeah. Like even the doctor here, like we don't know what's wrong with him, but he just he's basically a dog. Yeah, and then it's like, but fuck him, get out. Yeah, but we gotta leave him on the street because budget. Yeah, Mar-mar. yeah. Uh, and then some. Then like they also try to do being there by having him get swept up into LA politics. But that feels very half-hearted. It feels like he rewatched being there and realized that's where it it's was like, supposed oh, right. to end. But then it's a scene with John Malkovich. We should also probably talk about a lot of his movie is just a rotating uh, cast of camp. You know, people Charlie Day calling in favors of famous people that he knows to show up and do a scene. Right. Like Jason Sudeikis, like um, John Malkovich. I mean, Adrian Brody, we could argue, is like a supporting role. Oh, Adrian supporting Brody's role. a full on. You get he's in th- like he and Kate Beckinsale are significant roles. And even Edie Falco, I would say, is a pretty because she has at least three scenes where she's. Doing I mean, stuff. she does, but I think they're all shot in that office. So I think they could have gotten Edie Falco out of there in a day. That's probably true. Yeah. Like, I think those are probably all shot back to back. But yeah, it's a lot of that. I mean, uh, Glenn Howerton does show up. Uh, he has one line. <laughs> yeah, 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 he's one line. He's in one scene. Uh, so there's a lot of that. And obviously, um, you know, we see. Uh, uh, why am I blanking on uh, Mary Elizabeth, uh, Mary Ellis, his wife? Yeah, Mary like, Elizabeth Ellis. Yeah, yeah. Um, it plays uh, his makeup artist. Right. And then Artemis, who's been on a lot of episodes of It's Always Sunny as one of the other like makeup artists. Yeah, there's um, a team of them. Yeah, Jimmy Simpson, who is one of the McPoyles, uh, plays the late night show host. Which is very, I loved that. And that was very Johnny Carson, like the the way that it was done. Uh, good use of him. But yeah, again, yeah. I mean, that was a day on a Johnny Carson. They they borrowed the set from Jonker. And, uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't know, like, and then I just think it was a bad choice to have him say a line at the end. Yeah. And I feel like that was the rewrites too. And the line like Ken Jong like pours his heart out. Like they've been trying to find each other, which seems like they would have done it more easily, but whatever. And then he says, I love you too. Well, it's also, yeah, he's, I mean, they're trying to find each other, which I understand why, why latte is having trouble finding him, but latte literally just goes to the same bench that he keeps going to and sits on it. Right. Right. It's not hard to find him. He he goes to like three places pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, it's... It, like I said, it it tries to come in with a, a sweet ending that sort of has this connection between the two of them, which, again, I understand the instinct, but it just felt late 
like that and that, unearned and unearned and it didn't there was no indication that ken jeong's character was a good person until they said it at the end right um i'm ready to pivot i don't know yeah i maybe this is liminal space but i i just want a chance because it's not even really about the movie but the that opening clip uh, i made it made me think of it and i just want this chance to say it you know because when else are we ever going to get the chance directors let let people have chairs yeah just let them have chairs let them have chairs on your set nolan i don't know what you're doing and look bradley cooper you're just doing it because nolan did it and we know that yep 100 percent. so let people have chairs just that's my public service announcement for the week people should be able to sit you know what from the highest king to the lowliest peasant who doesn't enjoy a good sit. <laughs> exactly. Also, people are on movie sets for 12 hours. Yeah, those like, are long ass days. Yeah, let them sit. Let them have a seat. Let them take yeah. a load off. Look, when we start making movies, it's going to be any hard. Any day now. Yeah, any day now. That phone's going to start ringing. Uh, but you're going to have trouble standing because you're not going to be able to walk three feet without a chair. Be so many chairs. It's yeah. gonna be all uh, head and bus shots because there's just chairs everywhere. <laughs> We're just gonna have risers set up. <laughs> like, yeah, just bleachers all around the set, as yeah. far as the eye can see. Yeah, bleachers. Yeah, you will never not be able to sit down on our set. If you want to have a seat, you can have a seat. We're gonna try to get some of those chair pants from Jury Duty. Like, that. yeah, yeah, <laughs> just just okay. nothing but chairs. If someone doesn't have a chair, we're going to have one of those folding camp chairs and just set it in front, set it down. And it, look, if if you find yourself standing on our set and you want to sit down and you call for a chair, it's going to be like that Cactus Jack, uh, Terry Funk moment from ECW where just a chair riot. Yeah, everything 30 chairs just ring. raining in at you. <laughs> That's our promise. It's going to be like that scene in um, Knocked Up where they're just marveling at all the chairs in the hotel room. That's exactly. how many chairs we're going to have. Yeah. No, you're going to love it. So if that doesn't get the phones ringing from actors and, uh, you know, crew at least. And look, like Lazy Boy, if you want to sponsor <laughs> our next movie. Yeah. You know, why not? Yeah. Park a lounger. Whatever. Yeah, we'll take it. Eames. Can we get an Eames chair? I really want an Eames chair. Those are good chairs. Yeah, I've always wanted one. They're very classic. Brookstone, you make chairs. Brookstone, even like some folding chairs, whatever. Camp chairs, we'll take them. Yeah, we'll take them. Yeah. One of those REI, ones are, you, you have chairs that you sell. One of those ones with a cup holder? Yeah. That's sitting, baby. That's some good quality sitting. <laughs> All right. Adirondack chairs, whatever. Oh, we'll, we'll, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. AVPVG brought to you by Adirondack Chairs. Yeah. We also, we're going to write a lot of scenes where characters are sitting around. Yeah. Just to make sitting. sure, you know. A yeah. lot of sitting. A lot of sitting. A lot of sitting. All right. Uh, now, now we can pivot. Um, I mean, this movie has a phenomenal cast. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah it, it sure does. Uh, you know, and Adrian Brody, I think, is objectively good in this. I think that he's the best part of this movie. I think so, too. That, like him driving in his Mustang around Dead Man's Curve, just shooting blanks into the air. Great scene. No, his, I like his character. He has a clear take on it. He every time he was on screen, I think like the movie picked up, you know, that he and he he did a really good. There was a great balance between he he is a dirtbag, but you like him 
And I also did enjoy the joke that when Kate Beckinsale leaves Latte because of all his problematic behavior, which has all been problematic behavior that's happened because of Adrian Brody and he's been there, that she leaves him for him. And that is right. a good joke. Yeah, it's a solid joke. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, now, Adrian Brody, like, he just plays slimy very, very well. Yeah. Um, and he calls himself half method, which is really funny. It's like, yeah, yeah none of it's like none of the showering, but I still am myself. Well, and it did amuse me the the bit that we played at the beginning, the idea that because this is real thing from Spielberg of you should be able to watch a movie with no sound, which makes sense. But like that, he takes that and is like, I also you don't look at it either. You know, I also plug my ears. Yeah, like 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 plug my ears and cover my eyes. You know, that's that's solid. That's good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's it's good. It's good movie making. Yeah. So, no, I, I liked all of that. Uh, I I mean, I enjoyed Ken Jeong. Yeah, I did, too. That counts. It's always nice to see him. Um, I liked the Hollywood party scene. I think that of 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 all the set pieces in the movie, I think that may have been the one I enjoyed the most. Yeah. And I think the movie was still. I still had hope at that point. <laughs> like, oh, I didn't. I mean, it was not doing great, but that scene had enough momentum that I was like, we could we could end up somewhere. This is because I do think that's probably the scene that works the best. Yeah, like that. That scene definitely fits. Um, I liked Ray Liotta. I mean, look, I always love Ray Liotta. Oh, yeah. Rest in peace. But yeah. And I mean, obviously, this is the kind of role he can play in his sleep. But Ray Liotta just being... Uh, like, you know, just a cruel guy with power is always a good lane for him. Yeah. Um, I, I, this movie's, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, this sounds like what you say to someone who's a friend of yours who makes a movie and you want to say something nice and, but you didn't like it. But I do mean this very sincerely. I loved the color grading in this movie and the just the overall look of it, like the the lighting. It, it it's a good looking movie. No, it, it it's really a good looking movie. Like it it is a well made movie because we've definitely watched movies that aren't well made. Like it was clear that there was care taken with the production of this movie, like objectively. Well, and it was interesting too because when I was reading that stuff that Charlie Day said in an interview about the reshoots and the the twenty seven pages that he rewrote. He talked about the fact he he was telling that interviewer that he felt like the movie had writing problems, but not directing problems. And, you know, that there was issues with the writing, but he felt good about the directing. And I I'd say he's spot on in that, that I think I think he directed it well. There's a lot of visual comedy stuff that obviously a guy who's been doing It's Always Sunny this long and has directed episodes of that. Like he knows how to sell a joke visually. He knows how to shoot things. Everything looks good, both, yeah, like just the way it's shot, and again, like I said, the the lighting and the color grading. I just thought it was a really sharp looking movie. Yeah, no, it. Um, honestly, I think that this whole idea would have been better as an episode of It's Always Sunny, where Charlie Day gets being there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, like yes, because I think everything good about it could have been done in twenty two minutes. And it would have been Charlie, which I think that is a fascinating thing that the reasons that this character doesn't work 
aren't an issue with Charlie because Charlie is at this point such a developed character and we know him so well that you can like, you know, sort of throw a bunch of abuse at Charlie and like, obviously he's treated terrible, but that's in a world where everyone is bad. And also like he does get wins and it's, it's balanced enough that we, we really understand who Charlie is. And so, yeah, if you just did an episode where Charlie lost his voice or got hit in the throat or something, there was some reason Charlie couldn't talk. And then he gets discovered by Ray Liotta and put in movies and becomes a big movie star. Yeah. And then the gang finds out by seeing him in the movie or something like that. And And then they destroy it. Like they're the ones who ruin it by the end. And then you return to status quo, which is what you do on a sitcom. So by the end, he's close that circle. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that would have been a better use of this idea. Um, but it wasn't. It was a almost two hour movie. It was an almost two hour movie. No one can dispute that fact. I mean, you look at that runtime, and you know what you're gonna find? Almost two hours. It's almost two hours. It's close, but it's not. It's not. It's almost. Yeah. It's how almost that works. two hours. It's how that works. Um, yeah, I would say like. I I will still say I think that if you're a Charlie Day fan. It's worth a look. Look, it's it's on Hulu. It's almost two hours. It feels like three. You know, there's there's much better ways you could spend your time, but there's probably worse. I mean, you could definitely watch what probably maybe almost five episodes of It's Always Sunny in the time. <laughs> yeah, you could. Yeah, you know, hmm. um, just you could but, throw on like season four, which is, you know, really good stretch. Yeah, uh, no, but this, uh, I, I think Charlie Day is going to end up being a good director. Well, I think he is a good director now. I think if Charlie Day, well, that's, that's the quote that you had, I think if he can get a better script, you know. Maybe he's not such a great writer. Yeah, which I, but the thing is, he, I think he's a good. But he's colla- a great writer for It's Always Sunny. He's a good collaborative writer. Yeah, I also I'm almost positive I'm doing this from memory, so I really hope this is correct. But I'm almost positive that Charlie Day directed the episode of It's Always Sunny that's doing the kind of Birdman one shot vibe to it where Charlie is running around and trying to, you know, get everything ready for the health inspector. And they're, you know, like he's trying to hide all this stuff. And it's this constantly moving. It's got the drum soundtrack. I'm almost positive he directed that episode. And I would say watch that because yeah. truly brilliant, good stuff, great performance. Yeah. And nothing else to add. Um, and, and look, we're we're all rooting for Charlie Day on this show. Oh, 100%. I, we are Team Charlie Day. Do you want – maybe we can end it on this positive note too. Uh, that I, I'll tell this story real quick that I actually interviewed – uh, the the guys from It's Always Sunny in I think it was like 2006 or you know it was like oh wow it was very early like it was at a point where It's Always Sunny hadn't really blown up they were they were I remember they were promoting that they were going to be doing the Dayman musical they had done the first episode with Dayman and Nightman and I and I mentioned it to them and they were like oh we got something coming up in this next season so that's the season they were promoting to give you a timeline okay. And it was all three of the guys at the same time, phone interview. But 
I always kind of ask a version of like, what's something that people don't know about you? And I remember that Charlie Day said that he was actually the tallest member of the cast, that he was over six foot tall and that he hunched because it was funnier. And first of all, that's a great joke. But yeah. what I love about that is for years after that, that people took that as truth. And it was my website, Hobo Trash Can, got quoted and people would use me as a source to be like, did you know that Charlie Day is actually six foot tall? And it's like, like for years it was reported like that they did not get the joke because it was a print interview that they thought that that was true, that he was over six foot tall and hunched because it was funnier. That's funny. And that's yeah, that's I love that. And that's no, great. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So God bless him. Big my, ups to Charlie Day, my favorite six foot nine inch tall <laughs> writer, director, actor, Charlie Day. Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hey guys, it's Sean. And Carter. From Potato. Salad. Marmalade. Eight. 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 Potato Salad Marmalade. Another podcast here on the Peak Sloth Network. Check it out.